0: will feature industry professionals and other construction industry representatives to help our listeners stay up to date with current and future trends in construction. So here we go. Welcome back to iPodcast AGC Missouri. Today we have our Vice President of Safety, Vic Sunshine. Vic started with AGC of Missouri in 1997 and is getting ready to move on to his next career to leave AGC and retire at the end of March in 2019. So first, Vic, congratulations. Thank you. Been a great run, great career, and very happy being here all those years. Well, tell me, I know there's been a ton of changes since 1997. Why don't you talk a little bit about some of the changes that you've seen both within AGC and sort of in the whole safety realm in general since 1997. That's a long time. There's been a lot right. of things that have changed in the whole safety world in that time. Sure. Well,
1: if we'll start with the last part first. In uh, safety in general, OSHA was created in 1970 and largely ignored by the construction industry through the 70s and 80s. I myself, with my own company, had to enact... Uh, Hard hats for the first time, safety glasses for the first time, and that wasn't until the late 80s. When I got out of the day-to-day construction business, I was around 92, and got into construction safety exclusively. Construction itself, the the industry was far behind and lagging with OSHA. You think there was
0: kind of this hope it would go
1: away? Yeah, well, it wasn't bad. I mean, over the next ten years, fifteen years or so, the industry caught up very quickly. But I got into it. I feel kind of at the start of it, where there wasn't much attention paid to it by either the unions or the employers that much. Just your biggest companies were used, you know, had dedicated safety people. And when I got here in '97. Things were starting to roll, and OSHA had just instituted new fall protection rules with the six-foot rule and such. And the industry was starting to come around, and the unions were starting to come around, but it still took a few years after that, well into the 2000s. But the biggest change I've seen, as far as the association dealing with its members, were when I got here, very few members had dedicated safety professionals and so there was a big need we had three people in the department and we helped a lot of members that just didn't have their own safety services that has changed now Uh, used to be the larger companies 250 employees or more had dedicated safety people now you'll find the safety person in companies as low as 50 people so that's trickled down from the larger companies and the smaller companies now having a dedicated safety person uh, in some respects don't need us as much for the day-to-day
0: on-site training. So it's really changed the complexity of the services that you deliver at the at the early part of your career you're doing more of the blocking and tackling and now it's more Uh, of a higher level type of uh, service you provide. Uh, And of course I'm old school and I still do the in-person
1: classes, but uh, I think classroom safety training will still be there, whether it's distance learning online or if it's going to be face-to-face. But uh, a lot of the companies, even if they have a dedicated safety person, isn't necessarily equipped or willing to train people Mm -hmm. in a lot of things that we train in. So, again, we do the OSHA 10 and 30-hour classes, but we probably do – a dozen other dedicated discrete classes on different subjects and I think that comes in handy for your mid-sized member smaller members and even a lot of the larger members still want to have us come out and do the training because that's something that they don't have to concern themselves with having to come up with the curriculum come up with the presentation we do it already so
0: I think that's uh, going to be here for a while. So as you've seen the companies hire their cadre of safety professionals in-house, that's sort of shifted your role now to really bring those people together and almost do more best practices things, Right, more we sharing. do a lot of that. We have a large
1: safety committee, one here, one in Joe City, and we have a monthly safety forum where it is kind of a think tank for the safety directors to get together, to network, to talk about best practices, In addition, we have about 15 of our members are in the OSHA partnership where we have quarterly meetings where we go over lessons learned of any incidents that occurred during that quarter. So you're right. We do a lot of the higher-level stuff, the tip of the iceberg. We're kind of up here talking to uh, the safety directors and, again, trying to find out what are some of the more cutting-edge things that other companies are doing that you can use in your own company. So that does help. And then, of course, as a kind of a gatekeeper here, we can be a repository of that information, get it out to other members. Frequently, I get calls from members all the time asking me about, you know, how to treat this particular problem. You know, I've got got an issue on this one job site. Can you come out and take a look at it? And we can do those sorts of things.
0: It seems like this new on-site safety program is something that was a direct result of that best practices and sort of those folks getting together and sharing what they knew from their own experience.
1: Yeah, it came out of our safety committee. There were several members that were using on-site safety in other parts of the country, and uh, especially Shannon Niles with Perry Corporation wanted to try and get this implemented in St. Louis, and he was a driving force behind it. He's the chair of the committee. But yes, it was certainly one of those cases where you're looking at a best practice. What's going on in other companies, other parts of the world, that, you know, for that matter, and we found that this would be a big benefit for the companies.
0: So, really, that's a new program. Why don't you talk yeah. a little bit about what the on-site safety program is?
1: Sure. Most um, most members and most safety directors and such, they, their talks are typically going to center around what's called a recordable incident or an accident hat requires medical attention above first aid. Those are, you know, that's a big deal. You know, those are hopefully few and far between, but those directly affect the company's EMR, the workers' comp costs, and so on, and ultimately their competitiveness. So we have uh, on-site safety now, which can come out, because, well, when you have a... Uh, You may have an incident or two or maybe, you know, a couple a year, but you might have a half dozen or more little tiny cuts and dings that can happen that can actually result in a recordable where on-site safety will send an EMT out, a professional that will look over the injury, and in most cases, about 90% of cases, can treat it right there at the level of first aid even closing up uh, wounds that would require stitches normally uh, using what's called Steri-Strips, and that is approved by OSHA as being first aid and not being a recordable. So in a lot of cases, we find companies that maybe they've had 10 recordables that year. Maybe four of them could have been averted by using on-site
0: safety. So the craft worker or the person who's injured on the job gets treated as fast or faster as they would have otherwise, they get treated by someone who is a certified or approved medical attention provider rather than the superintendent or the safety director, and there well, are a lot a, of benefits all the way around. It's
1: a lot faster because even though it might take them – it could take them anywhere from a half hour to 45 minutes to get to your site – That person its obviously not a life-threatening situation. If they got a cut or something, they can wait there and be treated on site, and they go right back to work that day. And in addition, there's a level of trust and comfort that the worker will have from an EMT showing up, rather than the foreman trying to manage it, the safety director coming out and managing it, and they can get treated in a professional manner. On-site safety also comes and does a follow-up visit usually or at least a follow-up call to make sure everything's okay. Now, naturally, there are going to be some circumstances that we don't recommend on-site safety, such as if the person has a loss of consciousness, something like heat exhaustion, which could turn into heat stroke, those sorts of issues you don't want to deal with on-site safety. That's a 911 call. We all know that. But there's so many cases where a worker is hurt, maybe they've got a a contusion, a bruise, or their shoulder hurts or something. They can be treated and looked at by on-site safety first. And if it is tr- needs to be treatable by a medical person, then they'll refer them. So that's at least a good stopgap measure to try and cut down on, I don't want to call them frivolous, but unnecessary Incidents that wind their way up through the system into workers' comp and affect the contractor's experience moderating.
0: So it helps the craft worker, helps contractor, and ultimately makes the workplace a little bit safer. Well, and it's truly a win-win because you do get a
1: more accurate look at a contractor's safety performance if you weed out unnecessary incidents that just gives an untrue picture of the contractor's safety performance.
0: Now, tell me, Vic, in looking back since 1997, you know, you're going to be retired here in a few months. You're going to be sitting on the rocking chair on the porch one day, and you're going to look back. What would you say has been the biggest success professionally, the biggest thing that you're proud of in the time that you spent as our vice president for safety? That's a tough question. (laughs) I would say
1: that the annual safety banquet that I took over—I think I've made it bigger and better. I think I've done a really good job at that. And in some respects, because I got here at 2008, which was about the worst time to take over any <laughs> position, yeah. that I think I've done a lot with uh, with a little. I think uh, I've I've done an awful lot with a lower budget each year for a good many years. Mm-hmm. And have still been able to make it a success. One of the, you know, it's in my view, probably just a no major success, but just a string of small successes. I feel good at the end of every safety class. I like teaching, I like showing the people why something is this way, rather than just barking out safety rules and saying you gotta do this, you gotta do that and per section such and such. I try to explain why we do things the way we do them. And I hope that there's, uh, you know, that it sticks. And I hope that somewhere along the way, I've made a difference. The problem with any professional in the safety business is that if nothing happens, you've done a good job. And, (laughs) you know, and and in my way, my recollection is kind of like if you went bowling and they just had a little curtain up in front of the pins, and the ball goes in there, and you hear pins falling, but you really don't know what your score is. So it's kind of like that. You keep putting the message out there over and over and over, and you hope that somewhere down the road somebody's in a position where they go, well, I really shouldn't do it this way because I know better. It's and, hard
0: to quantify the things that you kept from happening. Yes, it's hard to measure the safer environment. It's hard to measure the accidents that didn't happen. It's hard to measure the folks who got home right. at night because of your efforts. But, you know, they did. Yeah, and especially since I'm not a safety
1: director of a company, so I don't have, in particular, at-risk employees. So I'm kind of like the next level up, and I'm kind of removed from the day-to-day, you know, worker. hmm When Mm -hmm. they were my workers and working for me, then, of course, I was very attuned to that. And I knew if somebody was going to do something wrong, I was there and I I knew the person and I could, you know, work with them on a one-on-one basis right there on the site. But here, you're just looking at people in a classroom and you don't know what they went through that day or that week and, you know, how they've managed themselves.
0: Well, I'm sure that on behalf of all of the contractor and subcontractor and specialty contractor members of AGC and all their employees and all the folks who you've trained over the years who are either part of AGC or just someone on the job site who you helped out, thanks. Thanks for all your hard work. Thanks for your dedication to safety. Thanks for your dedication to doing a good job for all of those people all these years. Yeah, you're welcome. I was very happy to do it.
1: My predecessor Tom Ray Camper, uh he taught me a lot, but one of the biggest things I think he taught me was is always put the member first. You just stay in the background and you just do your job and let the member, you know, be up front, let the member flourish and Uh, I think I've done a good job at that over the years. And let, you know, just my, you know, I really, truly enjoy working for the
0: membership. You've done a great job, Vic. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. And best wishes for a long, healthy retirement. Thank you. And I think since I'm going to be doing some woodworking, first
1: project will probably be that
0: rocking chair. Well, enjoy. Thanks again for listening. It's easy to subscribe to iPodcast AGCMO in the iTunes Store or on Google Play. As always, you can visit us at agcmo.org for additional downloads and information. Thank you.